morning, if you take out your Bibles again to the 23rd chapter, the Gospel of Luke will pick up in verse 34, read down through verse 49. This morning, the tree part 2. The work of the cross. Jesus has now been crucified, and we find this almost unbelievable scene as the Son of God. Jesus, who is our salvation, clinging to Calvary's cross. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to draw near. Lord, we desire to hear by the power of your word. We pray that you would just quiet our hearts and our minds to gaze into glory. As we see what was accomplished for us. By the sinless Lamb of God, you, Jesus. Your life forfeited for ours. Father, we thank you this morning that while we were yet sinners, you sent your only Son, Jesus, to give his life in a ransom for ours. Lord, that he paid the price for our sin. We praise you for that. We glorify you for that. We have no words, Lord, to say thank you enough. We offer our lives, as the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12, simply as living sacrifices, Lord. Help our lives to speak the name of Jesus. We ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. Verse 34, and the first thing that we find here is our majestic mediator. You see, there was a mediator in the high priests. The priests were considered a go-between, between God and man. That was one of their chief functions. Under the Old Testament law, from which we have been set free, once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in and he would offer up for the people. The sacrifice for their sins. On Yom Kippur, they would be anointed with that forgiveness. Jesus was now going to initiate the new covenant. The one that Job was so eagerly waiting for. If you remember Job's story, he finally reached a point in his own life where he cried out for the daysman. Someone to Plead his case before God. That is our King Jesus. And he forevermore intercedes for us before the throne of God. And then, referring back to what's already happened, a long walk down the Via Della Rosa has occurred. Jesus has been scourged, he's been beaten. The crown of thorns pressed upon his head, forced to carry his own cross. Under that crushing weight, he can no longer do it. Simon, the Cyrene, has picked up that cross. Jesus has made it to the place of the skull, Golgotha. Calvaria in Latin. Calvary. He's now been nailed to that rough-hewn piece of wood. 
And he's hanging on that cross. It's now roughly noon. He's been on the cross for three hours. And then Jesus said the most sublime words, the most penetrating words, the deepest words, the most amazing words ever uttered on this earth. There are no words like these words. Without them, we are all lost. But because of them, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, daughters of God, the children of God. To somehow, in some way, bear his image to this world. Not because we're worthy, but because he's worthy. One of the seven statements that he made from the cross, only three of them recorded here in Luke. Father, forgive them. Forgive Pilate. Forgive Herod. Forgive the Sanhedrin. Forgiving the mocking multitudes. Forgive the disciples. Forgive Jeff. For they do not know what they do. Those words, friends, are the cry of the heart of God towards you, towards me, towards us, towards all of mankind. For indeed, God desires that no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he made that possible through the sacrifice of his own son. How God could do that? After walking with the Lord since I was 13 years old, I still cannot articulate to you. How God could watch his own son, brutalized, tortured, nailed to a cross, spit at, ridiculed, mocked. How God could forestall his wrath All I can tell you is he must love us more than we will ever know because nothing else could have caused him to do it. Didn't need anything from us. He just loves us that much. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And I would always remind you and do this time of year, you have to read those psalms which speak so eloquently of this time, as David penned the 22nd Psalm, one of the prophetic words uttered there by the, da- by the prophet David, remember he wasn't just the king, he was also a prophet, and as he prophesied, he prophesied that they would divide his garments, he further prophesied that they would pierce his hands and his feet, and so 1,000 years before this day that we now read of, David saw crucifixion 500 years before it ever happened. Not even the first crucifixion would take place until 500 years after David wrote those words of Psalm 22. And they said they would cast lots. 
for his garments, and so they did. And surely the Romans didn't know that, amen? They had no way of knowing what the Hebrew Bible said about the Hebrew Messiah. And had the Sanhedrin had any inkling they would do it, they would have stopped them. They would have said, don't gamble at the foot of the cross, because you just validate the fact he's the Messiah. So all of these things, speaking to us that these words are true. Father, forgive them. Not for a single moment did Jesus think of himself. He didn't ask God to get him off the cross. He didn't ask for a special anointing so that he could be pain-free that day. He endured the agony of the cross. Our word that we use to describe things that are the most difficult in our lives, we use the word excruciating. It comes from two Latin words, ex meaning out of, and cruciate, the cross. To bear forth out of the cross. That's what you're saying when you say excruciating. Adds new meaning to that word, doesn't it? Maybe we use it a little lightly, would you say? Excruciate. We don't even know what excruciating is in that sense. Even as the soldiers were seizing the hammer, grabbing the nails, as that was going on in the life of the Lord, he wasn't thinking, boy, I sure wish I could kill these guys. He didn't ask him to be gentler. He didn't ask him to be kinder. He didn't revile back. Just as Scripture said, he spoke not a word in his own defense. It was this amazing prayer, family of God, that diverted the divine wrath and justice of God. Jesus prayed from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He prayed for you. He prayed for me. He alone caused Father God to not rain down from heaven and unleash upon this earth the fullness of his divine contempt for sin. Different from all others in the human race, Jesus had no reason to ask for forgiveness for himself. He had done nothing wrong. He didn't pray, Father, forgive me. He prayed for Jeff that day. He prayed for you that day. As he hung suspended from those nails, he said, Father, forgive them. And every one of us were included in that one singular word, them, all of mankind. Next we see the mocking multitude. And the people stood looking on, and even as the rulers with them sneered. Now think of these rulers. They think they've won. They're the rulers of the Sanhedrin. It's the priests, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders of the church, if you will, of the Hebrews. It was they who were mocking Jesus. 
It was the ones who should have known exactly what the Old Testament declared would happen at the cross. They had read the words of Daniel. They had read the words of David. They had read the words of Isaiah. They had read the words of Zechariah. They had read the words prophetically of the Messiah. They knew them, likely by heart. And one by one, Jesus took upon himself every one of these things, spoken of the cross, and carried them out to the fullest extent. And it was them saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ, the chosen of God. It shows you exactly how religious you can be and yet still miss the relationship. Still miss the relationship. Not get it. Be as deaf as a post, as blind as a wall. That is exactly why Isaiah said, Seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. It is in fact why Jesus spoke to them in parables. He said, I tell you the plain truth and you don't listen. And the soldiers also mocked him. Probably many of you have had that experience of maybe being around someone who's being mocked, ridiculed. And and your blood boils, it fumes, riles up within you, and you just feel almost, it's nearly a necessity to go to the aid of that person who's being ridiculed. Had a young man at our high school that had Down syndrome. Just the sweetest guy ever. Just unbelievable. And and I will tell you to my shame, he was being mocked one day in our quad. And I put a beating on a guy that I'm not proud of. Couldn't help myself. You just can't do this. This is not okay. Can you imagine what God was thinking? Able to put a beating on all of mankind. Put a beat down on the world for what they were doing to Jesus. And he withheld himself. And they came and they offered him sour wine. By now it's noon. Jesus was crucified at nine. It's now noon. It's lunchtime. They sat at the foot of the cross and ate lunch. They picnicked at the foot of the cross. It's very likely that's where the sour wine came from. Oh, by the way, would you like to join us for lunch, King of the Jews? Saying, if you're the King of the Jews, save yourself. And the inscription also was written over him in Greek letters, Latin and Hebrew. The three languages that would have been the most common at the time. Certainly Jesus himself, maybe the disciples also spoke Aramaic. 
save yourself, king of the Jews. Remember, that's what Pilate had named him. We see two things here that we can identify. First, he's mocked by the Hebrews. And they mocked him as Savior. Some Savior you are. Who are you going to save hanging up there? You. Me. Anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the gospel. Yet these men were rolling dice for his clothes. What they said in their blind hatred was literally true, wasn't it? He could have saved himself. He could have popped those nails out of that wood and shot them right at their hearts. He could have called down twelve legions of angels had he wanted to do so. I would remind you that one angel went into the encampment of the Assyrians during Isaiah's time and slayed 185,000 of the camp of the Assyrians. He didn't do that. He could easily have saved himself. He could have just simply gone straight to heaven. He could have done that at the Mount of Transfiguration. He could have saved himself at Gethsemane. He could have saved himself in Annas' courtyard. He could have saved himself before Caiaphas, before Pilate, before Herod. He could have saved himself. But he didn't. Because that prayer was the the, the prayer that was authored before time. It's the only thing that would do it for us, guys. As you think about your own life, we come from about every type of background and need and socioeconomic place that you can imagine. And there is one Savior. And He's the Savior of the world. He could have saved Himself. And the ones who should have known Him hated Him all the more. Moreover, secondarily, He was mocked by the heathens. You can almost expect them to do it. You know, when people who don't know Jesus mock my Savior, it doesn't really make me that upset because I expect it. They don't know Him. It doesn't really bother me that much. I try and use it as an opportunity to speak to them about the wonder of Jesus. But the way they mocked Him, inviting him to partake of their midday meal. Looking up at those Latin words, Rex Jeodorum Hecaest, King of the Jews. Kind of sardonic in the way it's written. Some king, huh? And how right they were, because he was the king. Exactly as Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And of his government there shall be no end. He absolutely is the king 
of kings. He is the Lord of lords. It's who He is. The book of Revelation declares twice that He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And in fact, when He returns upon His thigh will be His name, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who He is, folks. He's never been any less. That's why the book begins, For I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was and is and is to come. There's never been one like Him. That's why the book of Colossians and Colossians 1 declares Him the Creator of all things, and that by Him and for Him and through Him were all things that were created, created, and in Him all things, every last thing in this universe consists you want to know what the seed of the Big Bang was? It was Jesus. He's always been the center. Notice the guilt of the men. And then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you were the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you were under the same condemnation? Look, we're all criminals here. At least this guy's being nice. And indeed, justly, for we receive our due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then Jesus said to him, and he spoke to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus spoke back, assuredly, I say to you that today, you will be with me in paradise. Very specific word. He didn't say heaven. He said paradise. The abuso, the, the abode of the dead. The same place that Abraham was at that very moment. Because until Jesus was raised, everyone was waiting for that faith-filled moment when they could go home to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. When Jesus was raised, all those who have believed by faith were raised with him. He first descended before he ascended. Luke paints Jesus as the Savior. These two criminals representing those two roads, those two choices, and the two responses, if you will, that are the same ones that are available to all today. You can make the choice yourself. We have made the choice, most of us here, ourselves. There's always only been two choices. It's exactly why Joshua 24 declares for us, Choose this day whom you will serve. And as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. That was where the criminal got to. One of them. The word used here by the, the criminal to blaspheme is, is only used twice in all of Scripture. Eskblathemi. It's a Greek word that carries with it to say about as vile a thing as you possibly can against deity. It's not just to kind of use swear words. It's to command with all of your linguistic ability to speak to the deity whom you worship the most vile things you can come up with. He blasphemed. Jesus, insulting him, 
in this crowd you have a group of rabble-rousers, you've got some rulers, you've got some Romans, and you've got some robbers, and every last one of them is making fun of Jesus. That that day you had the most unlikely person in the most unlikely place. Amen? I don't know about you, but that's not how I would plan a revival meeting. But that's how amazing the grace of God is. That even in our most desperate times, the grace of God cries out to us. That's why the one criminal said, we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man, he's done nothing. Jesus was in fact going to be crowned But he was crowned that day with a crown of thorns. The only tribute that he got that day was the mocking as he was nailed to a tree. The only homage he received was a soldier saying, Why don't you pull yourself down off that cross? But make no mistake, that thief had it right. When you come into your kingdom, could I come too? He recognized the king. And that's all it takes for each of us. And Luke records for us, Verily I say unto you this day, you shall be with me in paradise. You cannot conceive, I cannot conceive, Paul rightly said, the glorious things that await us. Today, Today were your last day or my last day. Today you will see Jesus. Amazing. Not long after those words were spoken, can you imagine the joy that filled that criminal's heart when he saw Jesus in Abraham's bosom? Read Luke 16 when you get home. Can you imagine? The joy that filled his heart. His life had been lived apart from God. I want to just remind you of a little thing here, and it's so important. Don't mess up the gospel. Don't mess up the gospel. Because it is this simple. Either Jesus was a liar... And there's a lot more to being saved than we think. Or it's this simple. This guy didn't have a chance to go pay restitution. This guy never got baptized. This guy never went to church. This guy did not own a Bible. He did not go to Bible study. He never got an opportunity to sit in a worship service. And yet today, that moment, he was with Jesus in paradise. Don't mess up the gospel. To believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be saved. And yes, you need to acknowledge your sin. This man did. And yes, in that sense, you repent of your sin. He did. 
But beyond that, it is purely by faith and through the grace of God that we will ever see heaven. Do not mess up the gospel. And then finally, the miracles. There are three of them here. You all know them. And now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. There were three hours before, and there will be three hours after six hours of agony. Darkness now ensues for those final three hours. And then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn into that veil of separation that stood as a testimony of the holiness of God between man and God. So fearful was that entrance into that holy place that there was one person on the entire earth that could go in one time a year. And when he went in, the high priest had several things that were to help him with that holiness. First, when he offered a sacrifice, he offered it for himself. When he prayed before he went in, he prayed for himself. He prayed for the people. But when he stood before the Ark of the Covenant of God, and there inside it, three things, a pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the Ten Commandments themselves, the law, buried underneath the presence of God. As he entered in on the hem of his garment, there were bells and pomegranates. Those bells were there so that if anyone heard those bells cease, that the scarlet cord tied around the high priest's ankle, which led to the other side of the veil, they could pull his dead body. Should he go in and be unholy, before the Lord. On the crown of the high priest, it says simply, Holiness unto the Lord. And as he met before God, before the Ark of the Covenant, if those bells ceased, if you were killed by the very presence of God, then no one else would have to die. They could drag his body back through the veil. It was a wall of separation. We were separated, family of God. For all indeed, as Paul wrote, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For there is none righteous, not one. None of us would have fared any better if we'd have gone into the veil uh, without the blood of Christ, we'd have been dead to. The veil of the temple was torn in two, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, He said, Father, into Your hands I commit My spirit. And having said this, and there's an inference here in the original language that Jesus controlled every second of this Himself. He wasn't murdered. He didn't just simply die. He wasn't overwhelmed by the pain. He didn't swoon. He said, Father, it is done, it is finished. He doesn't cry it out here, it's recorded in the, in the other Gospels. To tell us, die, it's done. 
And so, Father, I'm coming home. Back where I have always resided. He breathed his last. And so when the centurion, the captain of 100, the man who was overseeing this contingent of Roman soldiers saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. Three things. The first of which had to do with the sun. There was darkness. For three hours he had suffered at the hands of men, and then he suffered at the hands of his own father for three more hours. Bearing the weight of every sin, past, present, and future, that would ever be committed. You see, we often miss that. We think he only suffered under the hand of man. But he suffered under the hand of God, and I believe that that's why the darkness fell. God did not want mankind to view that transaction as the weight of the world, just as Isaiah said, the chastisement of our peace for our peace was placed upon him. By his stripes we would be healed. That our iniquity was literally put on the back of Jesus. And God dealt with every last bit of it for three hours on the cross. Total separation between Jesus the Son and God the Father for the first time in eternity. Because God can't look on sin. That is exactly, by the way, why your Bible there in 2 Corinthians 5 declares, For he who knew no sin was made sin for us. That's what happened. The second miracle, that temple, and notice the sanctuary, the veil, was torn in two. That, that veil was 60 feet high, at least. In Herod's temple, it may have been taller. It was woven in such a way that the thickness of it was as thick as a man's hand. No human being tore that. No human being could even get to the top of it, for if you'd have gotten to the top of it and looked in, you would have died instantaneously by seeing the glory of God which dwelt between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. God himself said, It is finished. And the veil that separated mankind from God was torn. And now by the blood of the Lamb we can enter in. We can draw near to God. And the third miracle was that centurion's soul. And I love this. You know, the cross seems at times almost too hard to bear. But as you see the one criminal become a follower of Jesus, and as you see this centurion get it, that prayer from Jesus was all it took. Father, forgive them. The centurion got it. Surely this was a righteous man. These Roman soldiers didn't know anything about Hebrew scriptures. But he knew what Jesus said, and he believed it. 
in one fell swoop. Jesus' spirit was committed into the Father's care. His body was committed to his friends for burial. And his soul went down to Hades to hang out with Abraham for three days. And then when he was raised, he set the captives free. When we think about Easter, we need to remember the whole picture. You don't want to just make it about the tomb, which we'll get to next week. You need to remember what happened at the cross. Darkness had silenced and given a somber meaning to this whole situation. All of those people that had come to witness this public execution stood there. The disciples stood afar off. It's kind of where they'd been. But because of that day, we can now draw near. Because of that day, we can be saved. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the majesty that is the cross. And Lord Jesus, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that has never reached out, has never cried out, has never been like the criminal or the centurion, that today they would not escape your grace. Lord, to believe on your name is to be saved. And we pray for those who may need to make that commitment today, right now. We ask that you'd convince them of the truth of what Jesus did, what you did, Lord, on that cross that day, is sufficient to take care of our eternity. We love you. We praise you. We bless you. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. All God's people said, Amen.